Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Well, hey guys, welcome to the podcast. We are back with a special episode, a story episode with our friend Sam. Sam, uh, you're, you've known Scott for a long time, and we're so grateful to have you joining us today and to just begin uh, the, the process of really breaking down these many different aspects of sexual arousal that we've talked about for, uh, for many weeks now. But we, we'd love to have guys on to really tell their story. And Sam, we're so grateful for the opportunity that, that you've availed us of just being with us and being vulnerable. And um, obviously, uh, some stories that we tell on this podcast are very sensitive. So Sam's voice has been changed a little bit. You can't see his face clearly, but that's just to protect his confidentiality. That is really, really important when we're doing this kind of work, whether it's therapeutically or in this space. Um, we we want to prioritize safety. So Sam, thank you so much for being with us and being vulnerable with us. And so as we begin, I just kind of you know want to start a little bit about with your story. Tell us a little bit about um, kind of where you started, how did, what, what were things like with mom and dad? Um, what, what was it like to be you when you were a child? Yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you for having me on and allowing me to uh, have this space to, uh, to share, uh, cause I really want to be able to help anybody else out there that is in a similar boat. Um, so growing up, um, my dad kind of was, for seven years of my life was pretty, uh, Tara was his MO. That was how he kept us in line. It was, uh, it was not about the, it wasn't so much physical abuse. It was more emotional and mental abuse. Just mm. never mm. knowing what to expect. Like I literally remember sitting in on the couch when and hearing my dad's car come up the driveway and not knowing what was going to walk through that door. Mm. Mm. So Sam, just, I just, I want to, first of all, be very empathetic and sit with you with that. How old were you when you first remember having this terrorized feeling waiting on your dad to come home? Uh, goodness, as, as far back as I can remember, um, probably four or five years old. Okay. When, when memories started to kick in, the, the difficult thing was it was so traumatic that I don't have any specific memories. And uh, I was working with Scott when I started to work on this part of my story. Mm -hmm. And sure. uh, he recommended that I go see uh, an EMDR specialist. And uh, eventually ended up working with a brain spotter. Um, his brain spotting worked better for me. It kind of worked mm -hmm. through the, the trauma from, from those experiences. Mm. But I, I just saw, as you started to go into that story, a lot of emotion yes. already come up. And I feel in my body that just that the bracing for that little boy bracing for whatever is going to come through the door. And what were you feeling as you started to go into that? What's, what's going on in your body? Well, right now, most of what I'm still experiencing when I... We visit this story. It's just the sorrow of lost childhood. 
Mm. The terror part of it doesn't have a hold on me anymore because I because of working through the trauma through brain spotting. Um, so at this point, I've been able to identify that what's left is still the sorrow of of a lost childhood and a, a boy who didn't get what he needed from his dad when he was growing up. Thank you for saying that, Sam, because that's, I think that is a, a very tender and beautiful place to continue to go to because we, we won't ever outgrow that sorrow. Um, we've Many of us have lost the chance to be the children that we hope to be, frankly, deserve to be, but there's brokenness in the world and that's taken from us. And there's nothing do, nothing to do with that except grieve. So we grieve with you. You, you know, as I think about that, this image comes to mind. It's like losing a limb. You know, if yes. I if I lost my leg in a childhood accident or trauma, I would grieve for the loss of that leg the rest of my life. And uh, man, I, I can so feel that as you, mm-hmm. you go into this. Thank you. So, Sam, the, the experience with your dad, terrorizing, um, anxious debilitating shuts you down blocks your memories what, what were things yeah. like with your mother well and, and the peace with my mother didn't really come to light until about uh, a year ago um not quite a year ago um because my dad was not a not emotionally available to anybody and me being the, the firstborn and the emotional son my mm. mom, um, I was her surrogate spouse. I was her mm. emotional support, which I looked at it as her being my emotional support. And until I really looked at the brokenness of that relationship, I always thought of my mom as being my hero, the one who saved mm. me or mm. kept me going during the, the trauma of my father's uh, abuse. But I've come to realize that what she did was even more damaging what my dad had done uh, as far as the, the, the difficulty the, well, my dad suffered from PTSD because of Vietnam and his own childhood my dad's childhood was riddled with difficulties with his parents I'm sure no surprise there to anybody listening Sure, because um, that's usually how it works it's, it's handed down unless something was done to break the chain my hope is that the chain has been broken with me and my because they know they don't know all of the details they know a lot of the details and uh, I've actually discussed that with both my kids mm. so um, I just want to dig a little bit into you said you just realized in the last year the harm that your mother's relationship with you has caused yeah. So with that piece, what I ended up doing is I ended up hiring Jay Stringer to do uh, an intensive with me. Okay. And um, that intensive is what helped uncover. Because I, I always, when I started working on all this stuff, I, I knew there was something about my relationship with my mom that was broken, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Mm. But when I started working with Jay and he started asking me about my family of origin and all that stuff he was able to quickly pinpoint that it was really both of my parents and their their struggle their 
fight for my loyalty. I love me to the particular type of pornography I was seeking. Mm. I was just going to say, to name what's going on here in your relationship with your mom, the, the term covert sexual abuse, emotional incest, triangulation, enmeshment, those are kind of the phrases that Chris and I use where a spouse turns you into their or a parent turns you into their spouse, their emotional surrogate, and how yeah. damaging that is, but how difficult that is to actually see a name mm-hmm. in a person's story. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you were, in, you were in recovery for a number of years before you could even name that, right? It wasn't, yeah. it's just not that easy to pinpoint. It was just, a, just about two years into the, the heavy duty movement, though of recovery when uh, when that happened um, it was October last year we worked with Jay and it was just amazing to me how once Jay pointed out the battle between my parents for my loyalty like I instantly like he didn't even have to say anything I knew exactly why I was seeking out what I was seeking out if it helps, I'll name what I was seeking help. Yeah, I mean, you definitely we're definitely going there, so share with us. Yeah, so uh, the template was um, a man uh, being, uh, let's see what I'm looking for, a man being submissive to a transgender uh, male to female. Okay. And being penetrated by the transgender figure. Um, that was in heavy rotation. <laughs> my template, my, um, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, that, that, that was your arousal template. I mean, that was the thing that right. you were searching, searching for, looking for different varieties of uh, videos depicting a man being penetrated by a transgender woman. Um, and, you know, that that definitely fits the the motif that we talk about. Um, so what in that experience, um, let's just, let's back up for a second. So after your childhood, where did you begin to self soothe and how did you begin to act out, um, with sex to really, um, try to care for yourself in the ways that you weren't being cared for through your mom and dad's inability to be present with you? Well, uh, Specifically, this template didn't actually come about until about that kind of pornography wasn't even available. Right, right. Um, until well, somewhat recently. So I was just, uh, you know, growing growing up in my teens. Um, I was sexually active when I was in high school. Um, I was actually seduced by my girlfriend, which I've come to realize was somewhat somewhat of a form of sexual abuse because he took advantage of of my situation. Um and you know just in and out of uh my I used to jokingly say I was a serial monogamist. Well I would only have one partner at a time, but I had several of them. And so it was a mixture of that and uh, pornography interwoven and all that. Um until 
I would say probably the 2000s when I was first introduced to Octran and transgender pornography. And even then, what I was looking for didn't exist until probably about 10 years later or so. Um, but as I as I went further into my adulthood without viewing these traumas, it became more and more intense to the point where it actually cost me my marriage. Mm. I'm sorry, Sam. I, I, I think it's it's important to note, you know, what were you looking for in these serial monogamous relationships? What were you hoping to find? And this gets to kind of the psychological cues of of sexual arousal. What what was it that was there that was appealing to you? And I just I want to clarify too. Your sexual attraction was to not not to males. You weren't a homosexual. You weren't struggling Correct. with gay identity, right? Correct. I, I I didn't. That was not part of my template at all. But the serial monogamy stuff, I think, I'm just very curious about. You know, th- there's something in that piece that's leading you into the desire for the transgender experience that's really important. So, so tell well, us. Yeah. What I can tell you about that is depending on what, what phase of my adulthood, um, because I, I, at first, I was seeking women who needed to be fixed. Yes. And I, yes. I believe that that part was me trying to, it's my mom. And then eventually I shut that because I was like, oh, this is not working. And women that I sought after after that were more like my dad. Uh, women that were difficult to please, were very demanding of my time and very like, it, it was so, I haven't actually thought about this till now. So thank you. Actually, that shines more light onto uh, why the shift is uh you know my <laughs> my shift it was shift to women who wanted to be my mom and instead of me fixing them they seemed to want to fix me or uh have control over me it was just it's interesting to see that yeah, so Scott, Scott's Scott's face is lighting up because I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump into this <laughs> because this shift is occurring not in your mind; it's occurring in your body. It's a neurobiological response to fighting or fleeing and being restrained in that in your relationship with your mom. That sense of I can't change her, and then you go into the freeze. You give up because when yeah. you're experiencing trauma and you're restrained, you're held down in some sense, your only option in your body is to freeze, is to just passively surrender. And that's what you did in your arousal template. Yeah. Wow. Well, I I think, thank you, Sam, because I think that paints a, a picture of the complexity of the arousal template is we think, oh, it's this one thing. No, it changes over time. It changed as you tried to fix these women and you learned that women aren't fixable. By the way, guys, if you didn't know that, that's free. You can't (laughs) fix a woman. And so now, okay, so how do I experience some arousal and some connection? Now I switch to, okay, I need a woman to have power over me. I need a woman to be able to be uh, the initiator with me. 
And so that is, and we've talked about this previously, that's kind of combining the maternal and the paternal wounding into one person. So when you, and, and if you don't want to answer this, it's fine. But when you're in that place and you finally get the uh, transgender porn that you're looking for, that is uh, a man being penetrated by a trans woman, what is it that you're feeling in your body when you go there? Uh, just feeling um, relief that I don't have to be in control. Just, just feeling yes. like uh, I don't have to do anything but receive. And and it feels like you're receiving what? Well, I mean, besides the, the erotic pleasure, it just it made me feel like uh, I was just able to enjoy the other person without having to do anything. Hmm. Hmm. It's it's rest. You got rest. Yeah. Connection and peace with pleasure. So you're viewing this porn online, Sam. Are you able to just stop with that or does that take you somewhere else in your desire for connection? Um, so there was it would pretty much be it because um, I was able to get connection that I needed in the real world on my ex. So I wasn't uh I wasn't completely void of connection and I was actually amazingly don't know exactly how I was able to connect with her most of the time and and give her what she needed. Instead of instead of being you know, I, I was I was the one that was making sure that she was taken care of in that right. realm, in the realm of the bed, right. the, the marriage bed and all that. So, as it, I mean, the transgender stuff was kind of an, an escape from that because I didn't have to be in control. Mm. You didn't have to be responsible for that. Yeah. Right. Well, the, the other thing that I realized, well, when during the intensive, you had pointed out that it was a battle of loyalty between my parents. It made me realize, like, I, do I want to be female or do I want to be male? Do I, I don't want to be either. I want to be both. So there's there's some of that in there. And as soon as I made that connection, of I'm fighting for my loyalty. And in transgender woman representing both worlds and what I wanted, it totally lost its grip and totally, like, I haven't looked at it since. Wow. Like, that. Yeah. It could easily stopped. <laughs> so let's, let's break that down a little bit because I think this is, you know, the fact that it had that impact on you, that acknowledging the confusion around the transgender identity that you struggled with some in your own body and you definitely struggled with in relating to your parents, that naming that and, and seeing the truth of that released you from the power 
that it once had over you. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit more about the process that you went through to to get, to name that and to see the truth in that gender confusion and how it had held you um, under this grip of confusion and shame. Well, both parents felt safe but didn't feel safe. Both of them at various times in my life. Um, you know, my parents. Uh, both got a divorce, they, uh, they reconciled, um, it both came to know Christ, and things changed in our family, noticeable change. And that was part, it was, it was good for me, but it was also a bit of a detriment in the fact that I was like, okay, God redeemed my family, I don't have to deal with any of this stuff anymore, I'm, I'm free and clear. And I realized that I still needed to work through the damage that was done by both parents. Yes. So that spiritual healing, while while good and needed, wasn't the thing that helped you. You still had to work through your own process of telling your story and coming to grips with what you had experienced, right? Exactly. So give us a little more detail about how that healing happened. I know you went to C.J. Stringer, did an intensive, but... Uh, did you begin to write your story? Did you begin to, you know, just, just so some of the guys can have a better picture of the process that you went through to become honest about the dynamics with your parents? Oh, goodness. It, it really started with working with Scott and him introducing me to the unwanted material, Christians unwanted. And I've actually had the uh, honor and privilege of going through it not once but twice in a group setting both times with Scott, and just understanding the dynamics of why why we act out the way that we do, was it wasn't enough, but it was a good start to get me on the road to being willing to peel back the layers. And Scott was a huge part of that as well, because he asked questions that other people either didn't think to ask me or were brave enough to ask me. Uh, about my uh, about my family that I grew up in. Um, one story in particular is uh, um, both of my sisters suffered. Uh, it was both molested by a family friend who was my age. He was my friend. His his family was friends with my family, and for years I carried around the guilt of that it was my fault because I wasn't. I wasn't my sister's primary caregiver, but I was a significant caregiver to my sisters. And Scott helped me to realize that that was something that was too much for somebody of that age. I was 11, 12 years old when I started taking care of these girls, and my parents would leave us, me and my brother, with my sisters to care for them while they would go on dates or whatever. And that part of it's not necessarily bad, but it was like the I took extra care. Like, I did things for my sisters that I wasn't asked to do. My parents didn't. They just was like, well, okay, who's going to take care of the kid? They, they kind of passively put me in this role of being a parent to yes. my sisters. And when all that stuff came to light, I felt like I had failed my sisters and stopped helping me to realize that that was not on me. It was on mm-hmm. my parents. 
Yes. And that, that is one of the first layers that really got peeled back that really needed to be peeled back. And once I started doing that, um, well, the, the layer of, of, my, uh, of what my dad did to me came up. Uh, my ex was reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and she was talking to me about the book. And it started, the first two chapters are about Vietnam veterans. And she said, your dad would probably benefit from reading this book. And as she was talking about it, my body went back to those days. Wow. And I had a serious, serious panic attack. Like, my ex almost took me to the hospital. It was so bad. Um, thankfully, I threw it. Um, I guess I was working with Scott at the time and said, without story, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. I strongly recommend seeing somebody who does a MDR or something like it. And I did. And so that was the next thing. That was the next part to peeling back the layers. So it's been layer after layer, and I still have layers. I know I still have layers in the work now. But they become easier and easier to peel back the more I move forward. And I would just say uh, to anybody who's listening, um, don't just join a program. Programs are good. But try things. Do things that other people have done and find out what works for you. Build your own recovery program. Because yeah. No, there's nothing one size fits all. I, I love that experimental attitude because when you have a lot of developmental trauma and then you have trauma on top of that, which is, that's your story. You have a very dysfunctional relationship with both your mom and dad. And then you have these layers of things added on top of that. So it's the abuse before the abuse, before the abuse. And it is layers because that stuff accumulates in your life at different stages and it takes a lot of effort to get down to the heartache and the pain, the dissociation, the shame. And there are different techniques that work differently for everybody. So you've got to have an experimental attitude and be willing to try some things, you know, for 45 days, see if that works. If that doesn't work, move on to something else that does for, for people that have trauma. And uh, that, that's a great testament to your, your perseverance and not giving up, you know, not just... Mm -hmm. I've tried this. It doesn't work. I guess I'm this way. I would also say, Sam, um, I love your curiosity. Curiosity is really the shame destroyer. And, and you, you, you took, you, like you just said, you took a chance, you took a leap of faith, you decided you wanted to heal and you took a step and you found the things that work for you. And I love your analogy of, of removing the layers. I mean, I've heard that many, many times in recovery, guys who talk about peeling back the onion. And, and that, you know, that, that's been your story. Um, and I also love that you realize it's not over, that there isn't a fixed, there's not a I'm done because you're a human being and you're a brave and kind and the, the thing that I go back to when we started this conversation, I just want to give to you and hearing your story is you are a good man. I think you've always been a, a good human being. You, uh, you took care of things far beyond your ability out of the goodness in your heart. And you tried to love both parents in the midst of their harm and, and trauma. And yet it took you down a very dark road. 
And so um, it's so easy to shame yourself for your failings. And again, we're not blaming your parents. They're broken. Everybody's broken. But there is a goodness and a light within you that I see and want to bless. Mm-hmm. Because you really do, you do hard things for good reasons. And that is, that is a characteristic of, uh, of humanity and especially of masculinity that is, is rare these days. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for allowing me the space. It's, uh, I really, I really am passionate about this. That's why I agreed to come here today and, uh, and tell my story is because I don't believe that any of this happened to me by accident. I don't believe that any of this stuff happened to me without some really good reason, not just for my own good, but for the good of those who hear the story. And, and I just, I love where, where Chris went with this is in all of our stories, there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of pain, a lot of horror at times, but there's a beautiful little boy in there. Yes. Who is crowned with glory and honor. And we got to see that today he's developed into this man in front of us and you're, you're redeeming your story. You're taking all of this pain and heartache and you're helping other guys now. And that's a really, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So Mm. I'm so glad Chris was able to name that, that I know about, you know, and, and I'm just, um, I'm so happy for what you've been able to do and piece together and the, and the beautiful change that you've been able to, to work with God to bring about in your life. Yeah. Right. I have a, a, a lot of people to thank for that. One of them being you, Scott, um, people who have been willing to pour into my life uh, with their own experiences and with their own expertise and their own tools that they have in their toolbox. So I've just, I mean, it's been amazing to me how this one thing has led to another in a beautifully orchestrated way that mm. I couldn't have dreamed of myself. Well, Sam, we we, we want to welcome you to the club, uh, the Shame Busting Club. That's what we do on every episode, and you have helped us today by calling out the the evil and the hor- the horrible effect of shame in the lives of men. And so we just want to thank you for being part of the army who is fighting the battle and taking the steps necessary to take care of yourself. And that's, you know, this story would not be possible if you had not done the work to care for yourself. Sam, you got balls. <laughs> you got balls, baby. You're with us. And uh, we'd love to have you back in the future. If there's anything else that you love to share with the guys, anything that you hear, uh, you're, you're a welcome part of the community. And uh, we're so grateful for the opportunity to sit with you and hear your story. And guys, um, this is what we want to see. Scott and I, frankly, we're only doing it for this. We're, we're doing it to see and hear stories like Sam's who've done the work to heal and to learn to love themselves and to learn to be present with those that uh, are put in their lives and bless others, which you just, I mean, like you're pouring out, my friend, you're pouring out your love and your kindness to others through the work that you've done. So thank you. Amen. Welcome. And thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Well, guys, uh, 
We hate to conclude such a wonderful experience. We've hoped you, I hope you get the warm fuzzies like I've got. I've got a good friend that asks, how are you feeling? He goes, I'm just warm. I'm warm right now. I feel warm <laughs> right in my chest. Hanging out with Sam and Scott and, and experiencing all the things that we want to see in healing from sexual brokenness and naming our arousal templates. So we hope you'll join us on a future episode. Uh, check us out on TikTok, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual haunts. And we'll be back again next week for another episode of We Got Balls. And so do you. Take care. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.